0: Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Harless. And I'm your other host, Natalie. This is the podcast where we recap the fiction story of Magic the Gathering and add our own flavor text, speculation, and reactions. We are currently in season three, where we are talking all about the story of Phyrexia. All will be one. In today's episode, we will be covering the fourth story in the main story arc for the set, Impossible Odds by Shannon McGuire. Join us as we head into the multiverse. We are on the second to last episode of the main storyline for All Will
1: Be One. And Natalie, can you recap what happened last time in the main story? So our planeswalkers are trying to take the Silex, which is a very powerful artifact, to essentially Elish Norn's throne room and destroy the Realmbreaker before it's able to manipulate multiple planes. And so in order to do this, they are sneaking their way through the multiple layers of Meriden in order to reach the Seed Core, which is where Elish Norn's Realmbreaker is. And so when they arrived in the Dross Pits, they all took some halo. And when Jace, our mind mage planeswalker, he's a very powerful mage who is able to kind of read and manipulate minds, when he takes this halo... It suddenly removes the barrier that Neuphorexia had prevented him from doing his mind magic and and reading minds. And suddenly he can hear Vraska and Vraska is our Gorgon planeswalker. And she is screaming out to him in his mind that she's in pain and she's in trouble. And Jace, of course, he is totally 100 percent in love with Vraska, by the way. He sets out immediately to go save her, even though the rest of the planeswalkers know this is a trap. They managed to get to Vraska. Jace is super epically powerful and is able to distract the Phyrexians in their minds this whole time. A whole rebellion breaks out in the, in the dross pits with Herbrest's rebellion against Atraxa's rebellion. And during all of this, Jace goes up to Vraska and she's been, she's, she's kind of been staged in the middle of this sort of Colosseum and she has been infected and it was a trap all along, but jace doesn't want to let her go and in this in this kind of last goodbye trying to reconcile the fact that vraska is gone vraska stabs jace in the hand and infects him with glistening oil and essentially infects him with phyresis but he manages to get away but vraska is completely overtaken by her phyrexianization during this and the planeswalkers, including Jace, managed to fight their way out of, of this Phyrexian attack in the dross pits during this rebellion with Urobrask and Atraxa. And like, there's Phyrexians everywhere. They managed to fight their way through because Nahiri, the Lithomancer, basically cracked open the ground of the dross pits and bring them down into the next level of Mirrodin because Mirrodin is is layered. And so in this moment, Nahiri kind of sacrificed herself. Nahiri was also infected with Phyresis, by the way. But in this moment, she's super powerful and is able to crack open Mirrodin and get the planeswalkers to, I I don't want to use the word safety because there's nowhere safe in, in New Phyrexia, but at least they're closer now to the Seed Core. They're in the Fair Basilica now and they're closer to their goal. And at least they're away from the frex, from the major frexian attack that I kind of swarmed them in that moment. But we lost Vraska last episode, which was incredibly heartbreaking. We lost Nahiri because she sacrificed herself and now she's missing. And even though Jace is still with them and kind of still has his own conscious mind with them, he's infected with Phyresis and everyone knows what that means.
0: So as Natalie said, the group is in the Fair Basilica and Nahiri's sacrifice has moved them closer to where they need to be in order to stop the World Tree, or Realm Breaker, from connecting to the Blind Eternities and Phyrexianizing all the planes of the multiverse. No pressure.
1: No pressure. They make their way pretty much undetected through the warring Phyrexians. So Elspeth is having a hard time with everything the Phyrexians have done to her childhood plane. So if you remember, we gave a quick background on Elspeth last episode in that She was held captive as a child in Mirrodin by the Phyrexians. So this is her childhood plane. This is where she grew up, but it was not a very good childhood. And let's just say Elspeth's life has not gotten easier since she sparked when she was 13 in order to escape Phyrexians trying to kill her. Um, so she's she's having a hard time seeing everything done to Mirrodin by the Phyrexians since then, but she's also having a hard time being here, period, because of all of the horrible memories that go along with it. So I think this quote from the story sums it up pretty well on what Elspeth is feeling. Elspeth shot a venomous glance at the warriors overhead. Just you wait, she thought, as fiercely as she could. You'll regret what you've done to us. They wouldn't. She knew that. Even if everything went perfectly from here, even if they plucked an impossible victory from this chaos, Phyrexia won't regret destroying Mirrodin. They weren't made for regretting things. Phyrexia moved for the greater good and glory of Phyrexia, and in the end, that was all that mattered. All would be one, or nothing would exist at all. Which is really bleak, especially
0: for Elspeth. You know, Elspeth really comes through a lot and is that beacon of hope. And so this thought is really bleak. And that really shows you how impacted she is from all of this. And now I have a quote that tells us what the fair basilica looks like, which is where they are now. Clusters of buildings rose from platforms in the latticework-like organic sculptures. Blending the sleek curve of machined metal with the organic roughness of bone and sinew. Everything was red against white a whole plane made
1: over in Elish Norn's image, like some terrible dream. So the planeswalkers are pretty much alone on this bridge, so they're quote-unquote safe. I hate to use the word safe because nothing is safe on Dufraxia, but they're safe for the moment. So Koth, one of our planeswalkers with the group, immediately brings up Nahiri and the fact that she seems to have sacrificed herself to bring them to the fair basilica. Elspeth mentions that she was infected with phyresis and Malira then tells the group about her conversation that she had had with Nahiri, how Nahiri chose to let the infection get to her because then it meant that Nahiri could stay in the fight and protect her friends. Kaya asks
0: Malira if she could do that same healing for Jace, whose arm is looking more and more Phyrexian as time passes. And Malira says that she could if Jace would let her. And Kaya remarks that she doesn't think he will, and Jace telepathically voices to both women that Kaya knows him better than she thinks she does, a.k.a. he's not going to let her. And he follows it up by saying, again telepathically, I'm not risking us all to save my own life,
1: not when we've already lost Veraska. That's more weight than I'm willing to carry. Yeah, so Jace, just from the last episode alone, Jace is really struggling with the loss of Vraska. It was it was a rough scene to to witness the the Phyrexianization of Jace's love. And to the point that he's willing to sacrifice himself rather than be alone without her. And in fact, the whole group is kind of reeling at their losses at this point. I mean, we lost Vraska, yes, which is really devastating to Jace. But we also lost Nahiri just recently, just moments ago, by her sacrifice. And Nahiri is one of the most powerful allies that they had. And a close especially friend here. here. Yeah, especially here in a plane made of metal. And a close friend of, of for many of them. And we also have lost or not heard of many other friends that are just weighing on this group. Like, we don't know where Luca is. We don't know where Nyssa is. And we also haven't seen the wanderer since the first episode either. Um, and this is also weighing heavily on Kaido when they're talking about Nahiri. He just kind of says something that's sa- on the surface sounds pretty horrible. He says, I just hope she's dead. Meaning I hope Nahiri is dead. And this sounds really harsh, but he
0: explains that what he means is that she's one of the strongest planeswalkers he's ever seen maybe even the most powerful. And it's frightening to think of how fearsome an opponent Nahiri could become if she was, in fact, Phyrexianized. So he's saying that the alternative
1: to her being Phyrexianized that's better is that she's dead. And that's true for any of their missing friends, right? Like, that's true for, that could be potentially true for Luca. That could be potentially true for, I mean, we know it's true for Vraska. She is now a Phyrexian we don't know the fate of our missing planeswalkers. And that's just what's weighing so heavily. It's if, if they're missing, then what does that mean? It might mean, and this is the, this is the terrifying reality that they're faced with. It might mean that they will have to fight them and, you know, knowing how powerful planeswalkers are, it just, the odds are just astronomical in in front of them. So They didn't find Nahiri after she broke through the two layers of the new Phyrexian sphere to get them closer to the goal, And so Nahiri could very well be alive and slowly succumbing to Phyresis. We just don't know. It's a really frightful thought. Kaya breaks attention and she says, well, that's awful. Thank you for that. As in in typical Kaya fashion. Uh, Yeah,
0: I love Kaya. She I find Kaya a little relatable in the sense where, like, if there's an, if there's so much tension you can cut it with a knife, I'm going to try to cut it with humor. And that's exactly what Kaya does. So they press on until they come across a stationary but massive, well, I'll actually let the story describe it here. Its head was an inverted teardrop of the white metal split in the center by a single empty red socket, as if something even larger had come along and plucked out its eye. The form of its body was hunched and elongated, making it all but impossible to draw comparisons between it and any more ordinary body form. It was neither insectile or reptilian, not humanoid or built along any other predictable plan. All of it was cast in red and white, making it an almost perfect match to the landscape.
1: Koth tells them here, Elish Norn doesn't like to give up what she thinks belongs to her. So Elish Norn plays favorites. She... She likes the ones who serve her the best or fight for her the most fiercely, and she ossifies them, it turned to bone and added to her fair basilica. Koth then points to this statue. We should still be careful. I've seen structures like this become animated and kill Mirans who got too close. So as they
0: walk across, and this statue turns out to be just that, a statue, thankfully, Melira reveals that she's the only one who has seen the World Tree or realmbreaker Breaker before. Because she's immune, she's been able to sneak into here before. Now, fortunately, they do make it across this bridge
1: without incident. From here, they make their way to an altar with doors just flung open. And it looked as if it had been frozen between life and death, both stationary architecture and petrified corpse. Looking at it made the flesh on Elspeth's arms crawl. But they kept going, alert and braced for trouble into the empty foyer. So Tybar voices, what
0: I know I've been thinking, this feels like walking into a trap. And Kaya responds with, that's because we probably are. She says, you know, first we get scattered across the universe, then we find Braska alive and able to hold on just long enough to scream for Jace. With Ajani on their side, they were able to anticipate our plan of attack.
1: I knew it. I called it. (laughs) Yes, you absolutely did. I called it in the last episode where I was like, the only reason Elish Norn could have known their plans and known all of their weaknesses is because they have like a Johnny. They also have Karn, which I don't think Karn has, I think Karn is stronger than that, but they definitely have a Johnny. They also have Tezzeret. Like she also has Tezzeret. So I think, I think there's been some, some betrayal going on.
0: Yeah. And Kaya even goes on to say that Johnny knows just too much about them and that Elish Norn must be smart enough to be using a Johnny against them. And then Malira says, smart, yes, all knowing, no. Her forces are distracted by the rebellion. We have to keep moving. And she's right, you know, they have this opportunity, the rebellion's
1: going on. This really is their moment to be able to do this. This is their moment. It's 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 all or nothing. <laughs> like they they either do it now or they're they're going to end here. And I mean, knowing what has happened already, the stakes are just so high. So they take a winding staircase from the fair basilica into what's called the Mycosynth Gardens. And Tyvar Kell here has a thought that I think sums up the situation pretty well. They were heroes, all grand allies in the fight against a terrible enemy. And he was glad beyond measure that his story had led him to their side. In the stories, the greater the losses, the greater the victory to follow. But it was hard to remember that now, under the weight of Phyrexia and the future. They get to the bottom of this winding staircase and find that the column of the staircase
0: they've come down goes from this shining blue metal, but as it approaches the ground, it goes into this steely bluish gray and becomes this, like, pebbly texture. And Kaya reaches out to touch it, but Malira immediately pulls her hand away and tells the group that this is Mycosynth and it is highly infectious. So they're going deeper and deeper into this plane and it is just not getting any friendlier. I
1: concept. really hope their halo is still working. Otherwise, how are any of them going to make it out of here? In fact, Jace is getting worse through all of this. He He screams here, which gets everyone's attention. The group whipped around to see him clutching his stomach. Split skin parting farther as the writhing metallic veins beneath fought for dominion over the tissues of his body. He managed to straighten, eyes glowing faintly blue as his voice echoed in their heads. Malira said, We sought the seed core. We must go deeper.
0: But the seed core is absolutely forbidden. Elishnorn does not allow anyone access to it. Malira tells them they just have to reach the door, and Kaya can use her planeswalker abilities to phase into the spirit realm and pass through the door. Melira leads the way to the seed core, and eventually they reach a structure made up of fungal strands that twisted in a mimicry of entrails as if some great beast had been gutted here. And I just had to call that line out because, again, Phyrexia just doesn't stop being brutal.
1: Yeah, that's... I, I continue to be amazed. I, I don't know. I, I use... I hesitate using the word amazed. Surprised? I guess is the better word. <laughs> yeah. Every time we come across something Phyrexian, it it just, I like my mouth kind of just goes wide and, and just astonishment over how brutal and kind of gross <laughs> it can be sometimes. But it's like, Underneath it all, it's kind of weirdly mysterious and, and intriguing. So anyway, I, I'm sure I, I wonder if some of our planeswalkers feel the same way. Melira tells them that this is the gate to the seed core, but there's a problem. It infects anything it touches with glistening oil. She is immune, so she gets through fine. Melira is immune to phyresis, but most of the others have to find another way. Luckily, Tyvar has a plan. Back in the Colosseum last episode during the fight, Kaito had used his Planeswalker abilities to remove the oil from Tyvar before it had a chance to sink through the Hex Gold and into his skin when Tyvar had transmuted his skin into metal. He thinks he can transmute everyone into metal, use the Glimmer Void on it to repel the glistening oil, and get everyone through safely. Tyvar asks Kaito if he could clean that much oil quickly enough for it not to infect anyone.
0: So they all make it through, and Kaido is able to remove the glistening oil from them. And then they see it, the Realm Breaker. Oh, and I... it is immediately clear that this has been corrupted.
1: Yeah, like, uh, Tyvar's reaction when he sees the Realm Breaker is just so kind of perfect. It's just, he recognized it as the world tree from Time, his home realm, but it's so very clearly not the world tree. Like Elish Norn has completely manipulated it and Phyrexianized it. And it's like this mockery. And Tyvar is just so personally insulted because it's it's a blasphemous of what is almost sacred in Kaldheim. And I don't blame Tyvar right now. Like Elish Norn has taken this and used it for her own ends. Um, it's just, This moment when they see the Bonebreaker is just so, so significant. So unlike the world tree, which is a tree, the Realm Breaker is made of
0: this like white porcelain metal. And there are these vivid, agonizing red patches kind of showing through anywhere there's like a fissure in the surface. And it is just weeping glistening oil instead of like how a tree would like weep sap. And all these strange shadows are moving across its surface, which confuses Kaya until she realizes that... This tree is full of these white oblong shapes that Kaya recognizes as invasion ships. And Koth says they're almost ready,
1: as in ready to deploy. Ooh, this is bad. They know they have to hurry now. As Jace and the other planeswalkers run towards the Realmbreaker, the sky flashes with a bright light. Nearly to the other side of the bridge they're on, the sky flashes a second time. This one bright enough to light the sky like the sun. The cataclysmic explosions filled the air with glistening rainbow distortions, followed by the bright impossibility of the Blind Eternities. Jace moaned. Elspeth stumbled, only saved from going over the bridge's edge by Koth's hand, grasping her shoulder and yanking her back. The Blind Eternities.
0: They're too late. Kaya looks at Kaido and says, It was all for nothing. The World Tree is connected to the multiverse. Elishnord can access the blind eternities. We failed. But Jace insists they hurry on, and not long after,
1: he collapses. So here Tyvar uses his last piece of Glimmer Void to coat his body in hex gold as he turns to metal and scoops Jace up before they enter a cavity inside the tree.
0: Wait, so last time we saw this tree, at the end of Dominaria United, it was small, not much more than a sapling. Now it's big enough for the planeswalkers to enter it. I just want to call that out. Like, that is crazy. So this entryway leads to a cavity inside the tree. And there's this big room in the middle that's kind of formed out of these roots that are woven together. And then all these dark passages split off from that central room, with the large one directly ahead seeming to be the main channel. And then at the center, atop a low dais, is Karn.
1: Uh, freaking carn. Who we haven't seen in so long. Karn, I could hug you and I could also kick you right now. (laughs) (laughs) So the great silver golem had been broken open, vivisected, and spread across the platform. Most horrifying of all, at the sound of their footsteps, he turned his head and croaked, You shouldn't have come here. This place isn't for you. Poor Karn, he never got put back together. So Elspeth runs to him and asks what's happened. Karn tells her that they have quote, rejected their father of machines. Karn tells them to hurry, that all is not yet lost. If only they had the Silex. Which they do. So Karn tells Elspeth they will need to get to the root system in order to destroy the Realm Breaker.
0: Now this next moment is really bittersweet. Karn says it's too late for him, and Jace responds, not just you, it's too late for me too. Let me take the multiverse from them. And Jace heads to the doorway on the other side of the room, and the others,
1: once again, have no choice but to follow Jace. Jace is on a mission. We saw this last episode. Once Jace decides on something, you really can't uh, stop him once that happens. But Melira stays behind for a moment and wipes glistening oil from Karn's face as Koth and his crew set up explosive charges on his restraints to free the golem.
0: Elspeth, though, is torn. She starts to follow the other planeswalkers, but she pauses in the doorway. Karn is one of her very dear friends, and she doesn't know what she should do in
1: that moment. And finally, she just asks him if he wants her to stay. Karn here wants to be selfish and ask her to stay. But typical Karn, he encourages her to go off the plane and make a stand somewhere other than here. But she tells him, no more running. So they say their goodbyes, and Elspeth follows the other planeswalkers. Elspeth has a moment here where she reminisces about all the people
0: she's lost recently. a Johnny, Karn, she's just so angry. She felt like her entire being was an old wound that had been sliced open, larger than ever, and unhealable. Now Elspeth catches up to the other planeswalkers as they approach one of the tree's
1: roots, which is made to look like Elishnorn's altar. And here is what they see. Static shimmered in the air, which tasted bright with ether. The root ceiling above them gaped as they drew closer to the trunk, a tapestry of finer roots, allowing them to look upward at the great bulk of the world tree itself. It twisted through an open rent into the blind eternities. Flashes of other planes showing through the haze. The upper branches crackled with the energy Tyvar called Omen Paths. From this angle, they could see long gangways connecting the oblong white capsules of the invasion vessels to the trees. Varexians shuffled along the gangways, readying their assault on the multiverse. The smoke the vessel spewed was red. Red as blood read as Contagion.
0: The planeswalkers realize with horror that there must be millions of the invasion vessels, and they're all ready to invade the various planes of the multiverse. Then they hear footsteps on the bridge behind them. There, walking toward them as calmly as if this were a pleasant afternoon meeting in a park, came a Johnny and Tybalt, but not as they had known them. A Johnny wore a suit of metallic red and white armor that appeared to have grown out of his body. It echoed the fair basilica, marking him as one of Elishnorn's creatures. He carried a massive double-headed axe, the blades
1: reversed in her honor. Elspeth is rightfully horrified. I mean, Ajani is her best friend, by the way, like her closest friend. And she is especially horrified when Ajani smiles at her and tells her he's glad she survived so she can join him. She tells him she's not here to join him, but to stop him. And Ajani responds. He says, why would
0: you want to do that? And he has honest curiosity in his voice. He says, now we can be together forever. Perfect and harmonious. No more differences. No more conflict. No more pain. You will be home. We'll have the peace we've always sought. All will be one. And Elspeth simply replies,
1: never. Johnny isn't the only one looking worse for wear. Tybalt was a nightmare of bony plates and protrusions connected by raw, braided sinew, recognizable as himself only through the smirk on the remaining fleshy portion of his face. His tail, always bifurcated at the tip, had split all the way to the base, and now terminated in two wicked stingers that dripped glistening oil onto the root path behind him. Tyvar tells Kaito to get everyone else to their destination. He and Elspeth will handle these two.
0: Kaido guides Jason and Kaia further into the Realm Breaker, and I'll read you the final words of the story. A Johnny roared as Elspeth leapt toward him, and Tybalt lunged for Tyvar as glimmer-void metal ripped across the hero's skin, and the battle was joined. The screaming followed not long after. Oh. So Another cliffhanger. we are left on a
1: major cliffhanger. Like, that is the end of the story, And we're just going to have to wait until episode five, I guess, to, to know what happens, but oh my gosh, Elspeth is fighting a Phyrexianized Ajani. Tyvar is fighting a Phyrexianized Tybalt. And, and those two have a long complicated story from Kaldheim, by the way, it's just, this is, this is a battle like of epic proportions. And, and let's not, let's not forget everything else that we just discovered. So the realm breaker is enormous, and it has breached the blind eternities, which means it it is able to connect the multiverse. It is already. They're too late. They're they're too late. It is. It has literally joined the multiverse. I honestly couldn't
0: believe two things. One that Jace is still holding on, like the willpower. Yeah, of that this was man. amazing.
1: That Jace is still with them, even being stabbed by a by a like a scorpion scorpion tail. tail. Yeah, with Phyrexian oil. Like, Jace is still with them, and he's still powerful. Uh, Clearly, he's fading, but that was also surprising to me.
0: And that Nahiri seemingly has sacrificed herself. Like, they haven't heard anything from her since this happened. She could be crushed under the rubble. She could be Phyrexianized. We just have no idea. We have no idea. And that's so scary. Yeah. I guess we'll have to find out next time As always, thank you for listening. You can find this story and others on mtgstory.com. Thanks so much for joining us in the multiverse. Have Have a a magical magical day. day.